Okay, here we go. The John Curley, Sherry Elliger Show. Starring Sherry Elliger and the great one, Jackie Gleason. All right, you happy with that? Yeah, I like it. Good. Dabbing it. All right, no more Dilbert. No more Dilbert. This guy's been uh, tweeting a lot and putting a lot of stuff out for a while now about a bunch of political things. And then finally, I guess he's crossed the line when he comes out with a, a study that he looked at. Explain Well, does he explain most of it in this cut, Jacob? Do I need to do a lot of lifting for Scott Adams or no? I don't think so. All right, here goes Scott. Everybody? If you know, nearly half of all blacks uh, are not okay with white people, according to this poll, not according to me, according to this poll, uh, that's a hate group. That's a hate group. And I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I would say, you know, based on the current way things are going, the best advice I would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. Just get the away. Wherever you have to go, just get away. Because there's no fixing this. This can't be fixed. Right? This can't be fixed. You just have to escape. So that's what I did. I went to a neighborhood where... You know, I have a very low black population because, unfortunately, there, you know, there's a high correlation between the density. And this is according to Don Lemon, by the way. Um, so here I'm just quoting Don Lemon when, when he notes that the, when he lived in a uh, mostly black neighborhood, there were a bunch of problems that he didn't see in white neighborhoods. So even Don Lemon sees a big difference in your own quality of living based on where you live and who's there. So I I think it makes no sense whatsoever as a uh, white citizen of America to try to help black citizens anymore. It doesn't make sense. It's it's no longer a rational impulse. And so I'm going to back off from being helpful to black America because it doesn't seem like it pays off. Like I've been doing it all my life and I've been... The only outcome is I, be, I get called a racist. That's the only outcome. <laughs> it makes no sense to help black Americans if you're white. The, the, it's over. Don't, don't even think it's worth trying. <clears throat> okay. Moving on. Yeah, he uh, he really, I mean, he, he's in big trouble. He uh, got dropped by the Washington Post. Um, Gannett dropped it, uh, him. He's got, there's, they have over 200 newspapers. Wow. And of course, the, um, Seattle Times here was what Seattle Times said about it. Uh, Adams' grievances conveniently ignore centuries of oppressive power dynamics, which have excluded black people and other marginalized communities from the security and prosperity to which all Americans aspire. Mm-hmm. Instead of inviting others to share in the nation's promises, he angrily defends the status quo that privileges his own in group. Um, it says mm-hmm. that we believe in the Seattle Times in treating people with respect and honoring diversity in our community. We strive to cover this region in a way that includes those of all backgrounds and with varied life experiences. Oh, yeah. The Seattle Times is just as guilty as any other media organization as promoting uh, distrust anger and resentment between the racist as the rest of media organizations are did you see the piece i sent you from newsweek 
I did, yes. So interesting study that was done. Every year, a study is done from um, black-white relations. This is done by, who does this one? Uh, media outlet, okay. So from 2022, or from uh, 2002 to 2013, 70% of Americans believe race relations were good. That dropped by half in 2014. And then as the media continued to do stories about black men unarmed being killed by police, and they kept pushing all of that, and then they went back to it again, and then you, what do you know when you ask people again, hey, how are race relations? Horrible. And when you ask them, you know, what percentage of blacks that are unarmed being killed by police, people say, oh, it's like a 1,000 or 10,000 or whatever it is. It's just, it's purely political. So the media pushes the narrative and reports the stories they want to report for whatever the reason is, and then people go, well, I guess it's really, really bad when it's not as bad. New York City, 1970, on average, 300 people were being killed every single year by New York City police. You know how much it is now? 34. Mm-hmm. But if you only believe what the media pushes on this sort of stuff, so for every white guy that is killed that is unarmed by police, and that story goes untold, and only the stories that care to get told, not the stories of a six-year-old kid that is shot and killed in the crossfire of gang shootings that is occurring in inner cities or in uh, South, uh, St. Louis, um, East, East St. Louis, those stories don't get told, only the stories they want you to tell. So the question goes back to what re- responsibility does the media have to cover all or none rather than giving this false impression that things are so bad and that black people are being killed indiscriminately and the president of the United States coming out with every single day someone should not worry that their child is going to die at the hands of the police. I have the quote. I sent it to you earlier. If you continue to promote this idea, people will start to believe it, and now enough people believe it. So now a survey that he was referring to is what? Was it, what was the question of the survey? Is it okay to be white or something like that? Uh, so the question was whether or not, yeah, it's some, something like that. Is it okay to be white? And what he was upset about was that according to uh, black adults, 53% said, yes, it's okay to be white. 26% disagreed with that uh, statement, and 21% said they were not sure. So his reaction was... If that's the way people feel, I mean, this, you know, that's what, that's what angered him so much is that he felt as though that was an indicator of, of, you know, um, the, the racism that exists, uh, you know, uh, among black people against white people. In the particular story that you had about Newsweek, the question in the thing was, um, do you believe that white Republicans are racist? Mm-hmm. And along then the correlation is that 70 percent of white Americans that answered yes to that question and 95 percent of black Americans who answered yes to that question that are agreed with the statement white Republicans are racist. They believe that young black men were more likely to be shot by the police than to be killed in a traffic accident when the uh, reality right. is. It's yeah. 10 times more likely that anybody will be killed in a car accident versus being uh, killed by a police officer. Yeah. Here's Joe Biden's quote. Imagine if every time your husband or son, wife or daughter left the house, 
you fear for their safety. That is the norm for black people in this nation, and you don't have to imagine it. Joe, you're a hack. And for somebody who says they ran in order to unite the soul of America, you're doing nothing to unite anybody's soul. And the media that is responsible for this as well, and you could point to the story of Sheriff Ed Troyer, which they always described as white Ed Troyer and the black newspaper carrier. They always bring up the color of the person's skin when it's to fit the narrative or at least to create the impression that there's something more going on behind the scenes. It's awful that this happens. Awful. Thomas Sowell wrote a book um, uh, about rednecks, and I forget the name of the official title of the book. And I read it, and um, it's interesting because Sowell said the behavior of the those that came from the UK that settled in the South, horrible people. I mean, just awful killing and maiming and fighting and just terrible. It was from uh, parts of the UK settling in the Southwest, uh, settling in the South part of the United States, just disgusting, awful, drinking and no work and illiterate. And a lot of the behavior that was occurring there in the South from white Folks from the UK that became predominant somehow in the South. So you would have a literacy rate in the South where you had people that were able to read. They were up in nor- up in the North. So in Connecticut and Rhode Island and Massachusetts, where ninety percent of blacks were able to read, you had an illiteracy rate in the South. It was part of the culture that had been predominantly created by these people that had come to the South from the U.K. and had settled in that part of the South. And he looks at it and studies it from that perspective. Those that blacks that uh, uh, immigrated to the North for better education, for better jobs, left that culture behind in most cases. Some did not, but that was predominantly sort of seated there at that time. This guy doesn't, the Dilbert guy doesn't do anything. Listen, he obviously has enough money because he knows he was cutting his own throat when he put this thing on video, right? It's not like more people are like, oh, I want to order another more hundred Dilbert jokes about the fax machine and the copier being out, right? He knew. Well, I mean, I didn't even realize that comic strip was still being produced. I mean, it's not terribly relevant, but... Um yeah, I mean, he, this is not the first time he's gone out on a limb and, and people have, have noticed that he's made, you know, a lot of racist remarks. He at one point said he identified as black because he wanted to be on the winning team. Um, and then something else came out and he said, now I want to identify back as white. So he's, what? he's been provocative for a very long time on right. this subject. He's pointing out sometimes the absurdity of all that sort of stuff, right? Listen, if you're a weak leader, Mussolini's done it. Hitler did it. Uh, uh, Julius Caesar did it. The first thing you have to do is divide and conquer. So you divide people by groups, and then you're able to conquer. So then you put you pit one against the other, black against white, rich against poor, whatever you want to do. It's the weakest form of leadership. It's the easiest way to lead, which is to break in half and then destroy the other side. So you get the one side that hates the other side, and then you continually foment the anger. And the media does this every single day. You can watch tons of video of police officers shooting and killing white guys and those names don't every man but then you get the other stuff the other way those are the stories that they want to do and then it gets back to why 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 do this why create 
Why create the animosity and the space between the two? What is the ultimate point of doing that? Why do you allow people to believe that every single day, like Joe Biden said, there, that this is happening, that this, that this, all these killings are going on? Why do that? You have a greater chance of being shot and killed by a police officer if you're white than if you're black. That's a fact. But that, ooh, ooh, ah, but that goes against people's uh, lived experience. But again, it's like we had that guy on. I appreciate the representative street came on to talk on Friday about this bill regarding the you know broken taillights and stuff here. But I listened back to the interview. I think what originally, here's my theory on what happened. I think originally they were going to push it as the police are disproportionately pulling over certain drivers of a certain color as opposed to another. I think they realized that's not going to sell. So let's do it this way. Let's sell it this way. It's better use of the police time to not pull over somebody with a broken taillight. Mm-hmm. So then you you give the nod to the cops like you're we love you and we respect you so much. We want to respect your time. So don't bother with a broken taillight. I think that's they they looked at it like let's let's sort of shave it and put it in that position as opposed to the disparity thing of how many people are getting stopped. But again, this does nothing for anyone. Nothing for anyone. Whether this guy says it or whether you have Malcolm X talking about everybody, let's go back to Ghana and let's set up our own and we don't need to be segregated. We need to be separated. We need to have our own economies and our own schools and our own businesses. And we don't need to be held back. You know, this idea of separating the races. No one benefits. No one benefits when we don't see the humanity of the individual. We only see the immutable characteristics of the individual. One of the things I thought was surprising about the research that the the guy did in the Newsweek article was that he noticed or for, for his when in, in doing his research, he noticed that. College-educated black people uh, were significantly more likely to be offended by microaggressions, which is something like if you say, I don't see race or I, I, um, I'm colorblind, those kinds of things. And he attributes that to, um, you know, you would think people that the, the more educated people are, the more they would be able to see through some things and, and have, you know, develop their own opinions about things. But he believes that's because of the left ideas that are presented in colleges on race. And that it, what it's done is it's made everyone in, you know, in, in college today that are being influenced far more sensitive to race and far more, um, interested in, in being, uh, aware of it. Like, you know, like they, they're interpreting things as racist because they're mm-hmm. being, they're being taught that, that everything potentially has a racist, uh, lean you know could be a racist leaning thing that someone said and so uh they i guess his research is that you know that's not only being supported by the media the media is is doing a a lot to continue this uh this narrative but it's also being done in the in schools yeah but then he said in his survey those that didn't go to college when you asked about they're not offended by it they don't bother them they don't do with Mm -hmm. it right yeah so it's it, you see where it's coming from, and I think the people that in the, the world of journalism, quote unquote journalism, they are already so baked in this stuff, so baked into them that they just naturally see. They don't even see that they are biased in their positioning of how what stories they cover and don't cover. 
because it's just, it's not like they're tilting it intentionally. They're tilted to begin with. And, and again, you're not doing anybody any favors by always talking about the color of the person. It should be irrelevant. What about just the humanity of that person? Uh, we've we've divided we're so divided now it's so sad and it's it's no 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 i i i i don't believe it which part that it's sad or that it's that we're divided okay no i i think i would i think that we are not divided i think the media wants to keep us divided but if you you are socializing with people and you're you have friends of various backgrounds and uh shades of skin and you are have you see them and they're they you see them as a human and you engage with them as another fellow you know fallen sinner and you're just trying to make men ends meet and you know connect with them on a much deeper level than something else that's you can't do anything about like skin color or race and religion majority of people I believe are not caught up in that world. I hope not anyway. I respectfully disagree with you, Sherry. Sorry. Why don't you go take a math test? <laughs> I'll fail that miserably as well. Why don't you move, move some blocks around and get him to Did you have to actually manipulate the blocks with your hands? No, just on mine the, was oh, all on okay. a piece of paper, and it was it oh, was yeah, more yeah. like, would this triangle fit into this? Or, you know, this is, yeah, okay. and then it was kind of like a parallelogram, which I don't even know what yep. that is. Uh, mm-hmm. All kinds okay. of difficult by the way we're we're back to sherry's uh failed iq test by the way that's what that's (laughs) all about yeah i'll match that and uh i'll see you with a uh, bucky's bucky's auto service center sherry yeah how about that huh good they got cairo seven well yeah i'm in the middle of this one Sixteen locations, been around for fifty-two years. It's Bucky's. Take your car to Bucky's. Bucky's Auto Service Centers. All right. Any kind of James Bond stories. Uh, Jacob's always kind enough to put them in for him. I never read one of his books. I only watched the movies. Um, and now they're changing the words. <laughs> Because uh, he's got a couple bad words in some of the James Bond novels, so out they come, Sherry. Well, yes, and they are Ian Fleming Productions, uh, actually commissioned a review by what are becoming very commonly known as sensitivity readers. Uh-huh. And so the sensitivity reader, uh, readers have looked through the books and changed things that they think people might be sensitive to or upset about. Each book's going to have this disclaimer. The book was written, this book was written rather, at a time when terms and attitudes which might be considered offensive by modern readers were commonplace. A number of updates have been made in this edition while keeping as close as possible to the original text and the period in which it is set. Ah, so we have more uh, publishers changing some of the works, some of the words in order to protect the more sensitive readers, right? I saw an interesting story the other day. There's more than one way to burn a book. Um, If the author wrote that word and that's the word, whether it's Dahl or uh, Fleming, Mark Twain, whoever writes, those are the words. 
What you could do is keep printing the original, and then you could put a label on there that if you're at all sensitive to those, you could read the original, or you could read the one that has uh, been cleaned up by people's new perspectives. That might be a good way of handling it. I saw that Puffin, the the producer of Doll's work, has decided, you know what, um, it seems like they're going to do that. They're going to have two, right? They're going to keep with the original because they got such a pushback on the changes that they've made to Willy Wonka's Chaka Factory, and I assume to some of the other works that he has done as well. So they'll have for both. You, That's for the people that want to have certain words taken out because they're offended by it, um, and the words have been replaced by people that don't know how to write, that have never struggled to come up with something creative and original. You can have that one, or you can have the original as the artist himself produce the work. Right? Yeah, they they yes, it says the the Roald Roald Dahl co- uh, classic collection will sit alongside the newly released Puffin Roald Dahl books for young readers, which are designed for children who may be navigating written content contents or rather independently for the first time. Readers will be free to choose which version of Dahl's stories they prefer. Now, they don't really specify what archive material is and whether or not that has been edited. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, are they still possibly going to censor some content in that? It, it, it might be. Um, one of the things that, that he said, uh, this was back in 1982, this uh, conversation was recorded, um, he was talking to the artist Francis Bacon, and he says this, I've warned my publishers that if they later on so much as change a single comma in one of my books, they will never see another word for me, never, ever. When mm-hmm. I am gone, if that happens, I'll wish my mighty Thor knocks very hard on their heads, or I will send along the enormous crocodile to gobble them up. He uh, was opposed to anyone changing anything that he had ever written. Who are these people that think they can get in there and just change words? So the words that are no longer there <clears throat> that they don't like, fat, ugly, and crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, right. So like Mrs. Uh, the Twits, Mrs. Twit. Mrs. Twit was a wonky nose and a crooked mouth and a double chin and stick-out teeth. In the new version... She has a wonky nose, a crooked mouth, and stick-out teeth. So they get rid of double chin. Another character might have had a a wonky nose and a crooked mouth and stick-out teeth and no double chin, but that character is not Mrs. Twit. She has a double chin. So the folks that were in charge of reading through this book, the National Review found them, that's in the U.K., they're from the ages of 8 to 30, and they were the ones that were asked to read the books, and then if they were offended which words offended them, and then they would that would be considered by the editors at Puffin to remove those words because they ran it through this group of chosen people that said, well, I find this word to be offensive and that as well. So please, for my sensitivities, let's remove those words. So there were two actual groups that got involved in this. One was an agency called Inclusive Minds, and Inclusive Minds is this group that takes on uh, projects like this where they they will f- filter it through who they believe are you know the sensitivity training people and then they have something called inclusion ambassadors mm-hmm. these are the people that are eight to thirty years old and here's how they describe them 
They come from marginalized, unrepresented groups and backgrounds. They provided feedback, but the sensitivity readers do the editing. So they'll ask some of these people that are involved in, I, I guess, uh, different segments of, of society. Um, they give a, a couple of examples. Uh, one particular woman is uh, identifies she's black, queer, neurodiverse, has been a sensitivity reader and inclusion consultants for Inclusive Minds. Um, she worked for Penguin House, or yeah, Penguin Random House, mm-hmm. and uh, she founded an internal community for people of color, which aims to promote the voices of staff of color as well. A couple of other ones, you know, are they? They just have different different backgrounds. So it's a a lot of different groups reviewing, over analyzing, selecting certain passages that they think might be insensitive to certain segments. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. You know, it's like it reminds me when the Rolling Stones went on the Ed Sullivan show and they went through, and the the folks at the Ed Sullivan show said we have you have to change that word right there. So when they rehearsed it, they changed the word about can make a dead man blank. Mm-hmm. They changed it, and then when they sang it originally, they put back their original word again. Wah wah. You mean not on the show, though? Yes. Oh, live they sang that? They did that uh, live? I think they did that, oh. yeah. Oh. This is like, that's I'm sorry, edgy. those are the words. Those are the words. That's what we wrote. That's that's what they're making the dead man do. Right? The, yeah. That's it. This <laughs> yes. is my work. You can react to it as you want. You get in there and cleaning it. But the utopian society, just think about it, will filter works of art through the minds of people that are describing themselves with a whole bunch of various sort of intersectionalities, right? Oh, yes. A lot of these are uh, polyamorous. Um, I That's mean, just. Fine. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. But just, you know what? Go, <laughs> go write your own book. Go write your own book. Reading more about Rolling Stone, Sherry, and getting changed, you know, having lyrics changed. Just make sure it wasn't, I'm trying to remember it was, I thought it was the Rolling Stones. I know they had a big, big fight with uh, Ed Sullivan. They left the stage, went back, backstage, because uh, we earlier, folks, we were talking about um, people, very sensitive people changing words in books that they don't like. They went backstage and changed into Nazi uniforms and came back out on stage. Holy moly. They go backstage, came out dressed as Nazis with swastikas, which caused Ed Sullivan to be very upset with them, told them to go back into the dressing room and change back into their other performing outfits. Good Lord. Stones, however, left the studio, and Sullivan banned the group from appearing again. And did they – was this their first appearance? No, they had appeared a couple of times on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. Yeah. Ed had some problems with a, a bunch of performers. I thought it was somebody else who was in there performing on the Ed Sullivan show um, uh, that also had words changed. Ed won, and then he screamed out the word. Some, someone's probably writing in, Jacob, are people writing in about other people that were banned um, or th- censored? There's some su- suggestion that you were talking about the wrong song, that the Rolling Stones, that they were Which asking. Which one was it? Uh, that Let's Spend the Night Together. The Sullivan yeah. folks demanded the lyrics be changed to "Let's spend some time together," which they did. Time didn't. together, 
yes. and that's why they were banned from future performances. Oh, The Doors was the other one. The okay. Doors also got uh, yelled at by Ed Sullivan. Celebrities got themselves banned from the Ed Sullivan show. The Doors were on there, yeah. And remember, it was also uh, when they saw how Elvis Presley was dancing, the producer told the camera people, don't shoot him below the waist. Just mm-hmm. shoot like hit close-ups on his finger or, you know, don't show what his waist is doing. Um, you know, censor that stuff for the, for the American people. But, um, the, the censorship continues. Um, yeah, that's a, um, yeah, I couldn't remember the lyrics because, yeah, you're not supposed to spend the night together. You know, when I performed at the, at Archbishop Carroll Talent Show and John McFadden and I sang, um, that I want to sleep with you in the desert tonight, the nuns mm-hmm. made us change that to, I want to dance with you in the desert tonight. And then we sang the same lyric when we sang on the boys' side, because the boys' side and the girls' side were separate. And when we sang that lyric, we want to dance with you in the desert tonight, that's when everybody, all 2,000 students, began screaming at us and uh, questioning our sexuality. <laughs> and, but you didn't want to get banned, so you, you complied. Um, the Doors got banned because it was uh, the song Light My Fire, Girl, We Couldn't Get Much Higher. Um, there's a bunch of people. Bo Diddley got banned. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And there, yeah, uh, Buddy Holly and the Crickets got banned. Oh, Dave, the music died right there. All right. Uh, Jackie Mason. Gosh. Ja- what are they banned Jackie Mason for? Well, Jackie Mason, um, he appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. He was greatly received until he wasn't. It was cut short of, by a broadcast from Lyndon Johnson to warn the comedian that he only had two minutes left. Sullivan gave him a hand signal to which Mason responded with his own <laughs> gesture. Uh-huh. Sullivan thought that he had flipped him off and banned him from the show. Jackie Mason said that wasn't what happened. There you go. Um, I was in a restaurant with my dad down in Florida. My dad saw Jackie Mason. My father loved celebrities, loved celebrities. I could talk to him. Dad, just leave him alone. Just leave him alone. And oh, I could see my father at some point. I didn't want to stand there next to my dad as Jackie Mason listened to my father for a couple of seconds or minutes. And then finally, he had some words with my father. My dad walked away. What a jerk. I said, Dad, you're a jerk. Leave him alone. He doesn't want to talk to you. You know, was your dad a celebrity hunter? My dad was. No, no, my dad wasn't. My dad, my my dad was pretty oblivious to celebrities, so he didn't really oh, okay. he didn't really know or care about that at all. I was just wondering that if if later uh, Jackie Mason put a sign up like that restaurant, like thanks, you know, like his career went downhill because your dad rejected yeah. him, like he yeah. did that restaurant. Yeah, exactly. My father ruined his career. 